a father's grief, a child's abandonment, a lover's transformation. Peel back the skin and witness the beating, bloody heart of author Eric LaRocca's debut fiction collection, The Strange Thing We Become and Other Dark Tales. Hot off the release of the best-selling novella, Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke, LaRocca's new collection features eight chilling tales of the macabre. Praised by iconic voices in horror such as Daniel Krauss, Tim Wagner, and Chad Lutsky, this collection is sure to be one of the most talked about collections released this year. The Strange Thing We Become and Other Dark Tales releases on September 1st, 2021 from Off Limits Press and is available to order wherever books are sold. Here at HorrorOasis.com, we are advocates of the horror genre and strive to amplify underrepresented voices in the horror community. This space is for indie artists to promote their work. Please enjoy your stay, and hopefully it's not your last. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Hard podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers, writers, and creators. Listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode. Before we start, we just want to remind you to consider if you are looking for consultations on editing or writing, look no further than our friend Michael David Wilson. He is the founder and the uh, one of the co-hosts of This Is Horror. He has of two people that we would like to mention, Josh Bellman and David Moody, he has worked with. For more information, go to michaeldavidwilson.co.uk slash editing. Welcome to Dead Headspace, a part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we have returning guests. She's been on a game account that high at this point. Erica La- Robin. I almost said Erica LaRocca. I'm going to mix you two up way too much. <laughs> Erica, say hi. Hi, everybody. 
Today we're talking to the author of Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke and his latest collection, Strange Things We Become, and Other Dark Tales. Eric LaRocca, say hi, Eric. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so honored to be here and chat with you guys, so this is a real pleasure. We're really excited to talk to you, and uh, Brennan, take us away, sir. Eric, I think we need to know, what have you done today to deserve your eyes? (laughs) i love that and honestly like that line uh is i feel like such an iconic line now and i hope that doesn't make me like seem conceited or anything for saying that but i really feel like so many people have just latched on to that uh that saying and i actually the other the other week i had someone on instagram tag me in a photo that they had tattooed that saying like on them how that's cool awesome. is that? Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. I've never heard of the cover artist, uh, Kim Jacobson. I'm Kim Jacobson. Yeah. Kim yeah. Jacobson. Okay. I've never <laughs> seen it spelled like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brennan has a question that follows up with that, but I just got to ask really quick. Did that line inspire the cover? Because uh, it kind of starts morphing at her eyes. Yeah. It's interesting. If you like, if you look at the cover art, I don't have a copy like near me right now, but if you look at it and kind of just like really fix your eyes on it, you can almost see like an outline of her eye, it, like beyond the mess that's like kind of drifting up. At least like that's that's what I see. I see it on her forehead. Yeah. So I think it's it's just so cool. Like that cover art, I really feel like helped the book catapult to what it is now. I don't think, I mean... I would like to think that it would have been a successful book no matter what, but um, I really feel like that cover art just solidified it as such a, you know, a force to be reckoned with in, in horror, you know. Absolutely. Brendan, uh, ask your follow-up question, man. So, Eric, I mean, you, you said, you know, at the risk of sounding arrogant or something like that, it's iconic. And I, I don't think that sounds arrogant at all because you've seen the way that people react to this book and, you know, specifically this line, and it's almost kind of become, um, yeah, I, I think of like, you know, when I think of the thing, I think of that nobody trusts anybody now and we're all very tired line. This is this is almost like horror nomenclature here. Um, and then you mentioned the tattoo. So I, I'm curious, like, what what's the origin of that line? What popped that into your head? I get asked that question quite a bit, like ever since the book came out. And I wish I had a really interesting answer for how that phrase came to be and how that saying came to be. Um, I honestly don't like it just sort of came from, you know, my own thoughts. And I mean, the fact that losing my eyesight is a huge fear of mine. Um, you know, like any sort of deterioration or decay of, of the body is just like a huge, like no, no for me. Like, I just hate that. Like, I, I hate the thought of that. It's just super unnerving. And, um, yeah, so I just kind of cobbled together that phrase, that saying, um, what have you done today to deserve your eyes? And, um, it just, you know, kind of just like hit me all at once while I was writing the piece because things have gotten worse. Like writing that piece was actually a very smooth process. Like, you know, it was difficult to write in certain portions just because of like how graphic and how disturbing some of the content is. But 
like writing the piece was actually really fun. And um, I feel like I was able to channel a lot of really uh, interesting ideas and concepts into one piece. And um, I'm really proud of it. I think it's turned, you know, I'm just so, I'm so delighted with, you know, people's reactions to it. I think people, I've said this before on like my TikTok, but like people either love that book or they hate it. And that's what I love when it comes to any sort of fiction or film. Like I love pieces that are really polarizing, like pieces that, you know, you look at and you're like, I, I fucking love that movie or I fucking love that book. And then you've got like a million other people that are like, I hate it. Like, I can't stand that book. Like fuck that movie or whatever. Like I'm thinking of the movie mother. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie mother by Darren Aronofsky, but that's like a huge, um, like that's a huge influence for me, that film. And just like the amount of people that like vehemently despise that film is just so inspiring to me. (laughs) And I just love like, I love Aronofsky's work in general, and I love, like, Lars von Trier, like, even though he's, like, not a great person, but, um, you know, his films, like, Antichrist and Nymphomaniac and The House That Jack Built, like, they're all, like, really dynamic and polarizing pieces, and I feel like that's what really interesting and compelling art should do. Um, So that's kind of that's where I was at when I was writing the pieces. I wanted to write something that I knew would not necessarily upset people, but I wanted to write something that uh, I knew would have like a strong reaction from people. Would you say that's one of your main focuses as a writer is evoking a strong reaction as opposed to creating a piece, you know, that people find comfort in, um, you know, you mentioned all those directors who create these polarizing movies, and I think that's a great way to describe your book is, you know, whether you love it or whether you hate it, it's, I feel like it's not really possible to read that book and not have some kind of reaction to it. Totally. And that's, that's what I'm all about. Like, I don't write fiction to comfort people and to... (laughs) say everything's going to get better like everything's great like the world's a great place people are nice people are wonderful that's not how I view the world people are terrible um the world is a horrible place (laughs) like it's not like there's nothing good I mean there are good people in the world but um sometimes I struggle to see them I struggle to see those good things in the world um and that's just you know my own depression and anxiety that I deal with. Um, But I definitely have a very specific perspective of the world. And I think that things have gotten worse. Like, is that is the answer to a lot of like my own perspectives of like internet culture and, you know, how we interact and relationships. Um, I'm really like pessimistic when it comes to uh, human relationships and like human interaction in general. Um, so yeah, like when anytime I approach any piece, I, I am looking to start a conversation. I'm looking to, um, 
you know, I, I, I keep almost wanting to say upset people. I don't necessarily want to upset people, but I want to make people react. I want people to either, you know, become completely enraptured in the story that I've created, and, you know, uh, like love what I've written, or I want people to be like, this is horrible. Like, I can't believe someone would write this. Like, I want them to have a reaction no matter what. Um, and I, I don't necessarily think of myself as a controversial person. Like I'm pretty, I feel like I'm pretty normal, like normal with quotation marks. <laughs> but um, like this book has really shown me that a lot of people can interpret your work and kind of like have your work inform their opinion of you as just like a human being and kind of, and it's strange. It's like, am I, Am I the collective, like, am I society's interpretation of me or am I my own interpretation of me? And that's something that I've struggled with, with, you know, releasing this book, because it's like the first time that I've had so much, like, scrutiny and so much attention on me and my work before. Um, but, you know, a lot of those directors that I mentioned and a lot of the writers that I love, like Chuck Palahniuk and... Uh, Kathy Koja, um, just like they're, they're, they, they buck trends and they like fight the system and they start conversations and they piss people off. And I think that's really like where my heart is at the end of the day. Like when I write fiction, I think that's what I want to do most of all. You know what? I'm going <clears> to, <throat> Erica, please jump in after. We'll ask the baseline, the real baseline question later because I definitely want to know that. But Fuck it, let's just talk about things have gotten worse, which, by the way, audio listeners, I'm holding up the book. But for video listeners, if you haven't read this yet, uh, as far last time you, Eric, told me, it's sold over 20,000 copies so far. Um, I mean, even the, uh, you know, you got legit Hollywood directors that are taking interest in uh, posting pictures about it online, which is amazing. And you know what? For me, man, I... I never want to, I'm going to contradict myself after I say this, but I never want to say you're like this author in the sense where like, you're the new Stephen King, you're your own author. But if I'm ever going to say someone's like Clive Barker, I mean, here's why I think you are. And first off, it's because as far as your fiction goes, um, it's just, there's so many good writers, but you stand out amongst uh, quite the majority of them uh, for the simple fact of what you just said polarizing I want that to be my fiction too I've told Brennan I probably said on the show when my debut comes out I want to have a bunch of people hating it I want to have because if anything's worth living uh, longer than your actual life if, it, if fiction's gonna outlive the person it's gonna have some major reactions mm-hmm. um, it can't be like you know Right now, maybe people outside of that don't use Twitter don't give a shit about this, but maybe, you know, right now a big thing is content warnings, and that's fine, um, but that's not going to be the front of the discussion forever. Um, Right now, there's a lot of transgender writers that have a voice for the first time, and that's great, but eventually there's going to be another new group. And my whole point to all this is um, your your stuff, it, it doesn't... 
I don't want to say any of those groups are trends or whatever, but for lack of a better word, your stuff doesn't follow one group, one fad, one insert, any variable you want. Um, you're also like Clive Barker for the simple fact that you're a gay writer that takes shit for being assumed as a straight writer, which I've seen, me and Brennan have watched this one uh, Q&A where Clive was invited to have a conversation about his books, and the audience just starts drilling him with basically like, I've seen you, that. Yeah. I've seen that video. It's yeah. It's it's definitely it's worth a watch, even if you're not a huge Clive Barker fan. It's just fascinating to watch him take those those questions. And I feel like you would react very similarly. You're very smart like him, and you're also very kind. Um, and I agree with you. The world is full of, a lot of shitty people, and that's why I that's why I started writing horror because I had dealt with a lot of people in my personal life. That were very toxic, from very hardcore drugs to tearing families apart to a lot of stuff like that. And that's why I wrote, started writing horror as uh, as a mindset of a novelist. So I've always felt an attachment to your work. And I'll stop talking about myself in a minute. And Eric, please take over. But all this comes back to my feelings on you as a writer and a person. I always felt this attachment after I've read this, after we've had our talks and stuff. And I just realized why polarizing you're a good person and the way you view the world i'm right there with you man so that's all i gotta say about that erica please take it away you know talk about starting conversations i don't think i've ever seen anybody talk about a single book as much as i've seen people on facebook and twitter talk about your books (laughs) so that has been really cool um there was one thread specifically i can't remember the name of the group and i probably shouldn't say it anyway but there was a facebook group about like horror books or something i don't know um name them no I'm just joking <laughs> i think i know the group that you're like, talking remember. about yeah i think yeah. i know the group that you're talking about yeah it was the longest facebook thread i've ever seen and i sat there and i read like every comment at one point and i was just like wow and same thing like you said it, people either loved it or hate it there was no in between so i thought that was really interesting but the people that loved it all jumped in and like gave reasons why they loved it and the people that weren't so sure i saw a couple comments where they're like oh well maybe i should reread it thinking about that so that's also really cool for anyone listening that's read the book that wasn't so sure read it again (laughs) give it a second go and a third and (laughs) yeah but put it down when you need to that's (laughs) another thing that i was going to jump to later i have also never had to put down a book and like take a lap around my house because i was like oh my god my stomach <laughs> is not doing nice things for me <laughs> was it the so, baby well, scene you, there were many you were one of the first people to read the the novella erica i remember i sent it to you for uh like beta reading and you were like so helpful with with wow. reading it and um yeah, yeah. I hope I didn't. I hope I was okay to like reveal that. Like, yeah. is that okay? Okay. Oh, I don't care. It's your book. Okay. Yeah. I'm. I'm jealous. No, I, <laughs> yeah, I thanked you in the in the acknowledgments too, because like your notes were just so so insightful and just so helpful. So I really like. I can't thank you enough for doing that. That was really sweet of you. Yeah, of course. Thank you for giving me the, the opportunity to do that. I still can't believe that stuff like that 
happens to be. I'm just like, you really, you, you trust my feedback? Okay. <laughs> I'll back that up real quick. You know, Erica, not to blow up your inbox with requests, but I've had Erica beta read a novella for me as well. And I would agree with every point you just made. Very insightful, yeah. very useful feedback. What's her yeah. email address to get in touch? I'll just check. <laughs> uh, P.R. McDonough. Oh, at- <laughs> <laughs> so... Sam puts it out. You get this reception. You're, you're getting everyone blown up. You're still, we're still talking about it. People are still going to talk about it years from now. How does that make you feel about the uh, next release, which is your collection? Uh, the things we become, the strange things we become in other dark tales. How, how do you, do you get nervous that maybe I peaked? I mean, like 20,000 books for me. I'm like, how the fuck would I sell that ever? <laughs> yeah. It, it definitely, I mean, it was just like thinking to myself, that's like an entire arena's worth of people, you know, like that's an arena's worth of, of people. Um, that's like, I think that's how many seats are at like TD Garden or something. Um, so that's just like insane to me. And of course, I mean, I'm, I'm like one of the most like pessimistic people you'll ever meet. And I just like, I immediately, my mind immediately goes to Armageddon and I'm like, I peaked. I, uh, you know, I, I'll never, I'll never sell that many books again. Like this is my ultimate moment. Like I've got to do whatever I can to make the most of it while it's happening to me and then it's going to be gone. You know, thankfully I have my partner by my side and, they're so supportive and just so loving and kind. And, you know, they're always in my corner saying, Eric, no, like, it's not going to be like that. Don't worry about it. And um, so I obviously with the strange thing we become, I'm so nervous for how it's going to do and how it's going to perform. And I know that it probably won't perform as well as things have gotten worse has and that's totally fine every book has its own life cycle and it'll come into readers hands when it's meant to and sometimes certain books blow up and there's no there's no real explanation for it there's no reason for it uh it just sort of happens and i wish i could tell you what happened with things have gotten worse like i wish there was a formula for it i wish we could bottle it and like make it happen for every book possible in the indie horror scene. But uh, it's just, it's just a crapshoot. I feel like whenever you put out any book, it's just what's going to stick, what's going to land with people. Uh, it's, it's just very, very difficult to predict what is going to be the next big thing. Um, so yeah. So with the strange thing we become, I'm definitely, I'm trying to just temper my, expectations with it i mean sam at off limits press did tell me the other week that uh we sold 500 copies of the book within like the first couple days of the release so that's pretty cool i think i mean for a for an indie horror fiction collection that's pretty that's pretty rare um but i mean off limits press has such a great following and they produce such quality work um i feel like i'm kind of riding their coattails in a way <laughs> just because you know off limits press like put out crossroads and um the Worminous kings and just like really uh game-changing horror in the indie horror scene um 
And then, you know, I've had people reach out to me that have read things have gotten worse and they've said, oh, like, I can't wait to buy the new collection. I'm so glad that you're, you know, releasing another book so soon. And um, yeah, so I've definitely had some people like trickle over from the things have gotten worse camp and, um, you know, purchase the new collection. But at the end of the day, I'm just very honored to be able to write and share these stories with people. I think that's what's just is so like exceptional to me is just to be able to do that, you know. That's great. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I I just gotta say, and I don't tell me if this spoils it. I don't think it does, but with horror, the biggest thing is like isolation, loneliness. Uh, you got that with the earliest, at least I think the earliest means of communication via internet uh in the early aughts and it's just really interesting and you have like a niche what's it called back then uh not chat rooms but uh forums i guess yeah yeah you you have a very niche society uh where it's the lgbtq and then this lady's just talking about her (laughs) what is it her apple peeler yeah, her antique apple peeler. <laughs> and I text Brennan because we talk about the books we're reading pretty much every day. I'm like, Eric made this an interesting concept. And there's a few guys at work that uh, listen to the show, and they um, they asked me what I'm reading at the moment. And when I was reading Things Have Gotten Worse, I just said, you got to pick this up. I'm like, the guy makes an apple peeler. Interesting. And he goes, I don't like the way he said that. I'm like... I don't mean it probably how I mean it, but I think I mean it, but you should read it. Yeah. So I gotta get I gotta get an update on that. But anyways, um why did you pick that why'd you pick an epistolary uh format for an entire book? It worked, but I'm just curious if you thought that that would be an approach that would work and why did you pick that early aughts uh timeline? Well, the choice to do it as like emails and chat room setting um that's definitely just been something that i've been interested in um from a very early age and uh just something that i've wanted to write about for a while um i had a short story collected in an anthology in like 2017 called Miss Vertebrae, and it was in Year's Best Hardcore Horror Volume 2, I believe. And that was told entirely through, like, emails between two people. Uh, Well, it was actually one person just writing a series of emails to another person. Um, And the other person never really responded. But um, I just, I've always been really fascinated with internet culture and... um, just the internet in general really frightens me. Um, it's just such a really, uh, it can be a great resource, but it's also such a, uh, it's a hellscape. I feel like, you know, it's, there's just so much opportunity for things to go wrong and for, um, you know, mayhem to ensue. I'm one of my biggest fears is stumbling upon something on the internet that I'm not like supposed to see something that is that I can't unsee or that I can't unread. And for anyone that's been on like Reddit or any of those sites, like you come across posts that are like 
cursed. And they're just like, don't read this. Don't click on this link. And then, of course, you click on the link and it takes you to like some picture of something horrible. And it's just that to me is just so frightening is that you're like blindly staggering through this maze of just like depravity. It's just how I imagine certain parts of the Internet. And that was really the the genesis for writing this piece. And um, yeah, and then the fact that, uh, you know, why did I choose to set it in 2000? I mean, um, I am I, so I was born in the early 90s. So I'm definitely like a child of the internet age and like the internet boom. And, uh, you know, I was in some of those chat rooms growing up and, um, you know, I never, I never had a situation happen to me quite like this, but, uh, (laughs) there were, there were definitely, you know, there were moments that I could have been, uh, you know, uh, I could have gotten into some like really sticky situations if I wasn't as careful as I was. And if my parents didn't monitor me as much as they did. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, the early two thousands just seemed like a really interesting time. It was, you know, pre nine 11 when the world was kind of, I feel like a little bit, I feel like it was a little simpler in a lot of ways. I mean, we just had the anniversary the 20th anniversary of, of nine 11 and, I feel like a lot of culture and I feel like a lot of our lives changed quite a bit, like drastically after that event. Um, so to me, it just seemed like a natural choice to pick 2000 as the the location. And I've always been really fascinated by like the millennium, the new millennium when it was in like 1999. It's just, it just seemed like a really, theatrical and exciting backdrop to lay this story you know um so that's really like the motivation for why I chose 2000s and I've had some people say that why did like it didn't make sense for it to be in early 2000s it could be now it could be modern but that's not the story I was trying to tell I was trying to tell this story in particular set in the year 2000 and I was trying to tell it the best way I could well, I'm just going to back you up on that one because from and it's a simple Google or YouTube search, but uh, you go back to that time and it's new. Uh, people aren't even aware of how you can get they they're either so excited or so curious, or so enamored with the ability to talk to pretty much anyone mm-hmm. from your home um, on this computer. They, most people aren't thinking about <clears throat> security risks. Most people, when I was in middle school, ASL, which stood for age, sex, location. I mean, come on. Like, I remember that was in every chat room I went in. None of them were naughty chat rooms. They were just normal. But to think right. of the people that I probably did talk to, and I won't go into too much detail if you don't want, but there was this one basketball coach. I played AAU basketball, um, travel basketball. One of the biggest head like guys that ran one of the biggest Boston teams in my age group, cops were knocking at his door, and uh, he was talking to a cop that pretended to be a uh, underage boy. So, um, and and me and my dad shook hands with him, and he had a very high reputation for being in charge of all these middle school kids, and uh, it, it just it, it makes me think. Well, who knows if any of us weren't talking to some creep like that, like. 
I knew him in person. Um, you never know. And to me, that's why 2000 works perfectly because even on like Dateline, they would tell parents, you have to be careful who your kids are talking to on MySpace. Um, yeah. it, it's like, I remember high school, uh, maybe a little bit after when eBay started to get really big. I didn't trust buying stuff online. Now you don't even think about it. You got it on your phone. So to say that it'd be something that you could transfer to today, there's so many variables as to why that doesn't work. And you, you pick the wild, wild west age of the digital realm. I think it's perfect. Erica, Brennan, take it away, please. Erica, you want it? That's what she said. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, my questions all kind of take us for a, a sharp turn here. Do we want to jump back to the original first question that we <laughs> you guys wanted to ask? Sure, sure. Go for it. Oh, me? Sorry. Yeah, right. why not? Okay. <laughs> uh, Eric, what got you into horror? So, um, I mean, I've always been really invested in the macabre and the unusual and the strange, um, you know, not to sound like Lydia from Beetlejuice, but like, you know, how she's like, I am myself strange and unusual. It's like, I always identified with that. I always felt like an outsider. I always felt like I was on the outside looking in. I never felt like I really fit into any place and uh, elementary school and then high school was like even worse. That was a fucking nightmare. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I've always been interested in like the weird and the unnatural. And it came to a head when uh, my mom actually introduced me to one of her favorite horror films from the 1950s called Creature from the Black Lagoon. And that film just completely shifted my attention and just caught it. And I was like, this, this is something that I want. This, I don't know what it is about this, but I just, I really respond to this. And I just started devouring all of the like classic universal monster movies that I could. Uh, I just really started educating myself with horror and the genre. And um, I basically went through the catalog of classic horror, everything from the silence, like Nosferatu and the Phantom of the Opera and the Hunchback and went through like the 1930s with like the Black Cat and the Raven and uh, Son of Frankenstein and then the 40s, 50s, 60s. And then, you know, eventually got like the modern, modern age when I was like a little bit older. But for a while, like my parents were really pleased with my infatuation with the genre because I wasn't watching like the modern stuff. I was really like invested in the classic horror, which was more about mood and atmosphere and a slow building dread, like less in your face gore. Um, and then that sort of shifted and I became really obsessed with Clive Barker and that kind of changed everything. <laughs> And I think my parents got a little worried for a little while. Um, they were like, why is, why is our kid uh, so interested in, like, dismemberment? And why is he watching Hellraiser all the time? Uh, but they were, they're so supportive and they're so 
they're just the best parents, honestly, on on the planet. And they're just like, they took me to so many like monster conventions when I was little and Mm, they're just the best. Yeah. They're awesome. So, uh, but yeah, like I definitely, as I was saying, like, you know, everything sort of changed when I first came into contact with Clive Barker and, um, he just really redefined my whole image of horror and what it could be. And, um, that's, I think when I really started taking horror much more seriously and thinking I can, I can do something with this. Like I can write, I can create a career like this because he was an openly queer writer operating in the space. And prior to that, I hadn't really seen anybody that was queer writing horror or operating in the genre whatsoever. And I thought, how am I going to fit into this? Like, I already feel like I don't fit in 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 school. How do I fit in in something that I love? And then I found him and it was just like total, uh, just like a light bulb going off in my head. And I just, I wanted to read as much as I could of him. I wanted to see all of his films. Um, even like the old uh, things that he worked on in like college, like he did a film of Salome, uh, which is like in black and white. And uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous and really well done. And he was also a playwright. Like I started out writing plays. Uh, he has like a bunch of really compelling plays for the stage like Frankenstein and Love is a really great one and actually uh, includes a man who's is like flayed alive so it's it kind of like predates Hellraiser in a lot of ways um, but yeah it's like just with like horror in general I've really always been kind of invested in the genre but it really it really was like my mom that kind of propelled it and then just me taking the baton with it and going like, I, I want to just do this for, for the rest of my life. You're, you talk about your mom all the time. I love it, man. You know, that's a, sorry guys. I want to get real selfish with me and Eric real quick, but my mom and I, I remember uh, when I was 12 and uh, she was the one that brought me to Toys R Us and Brockton. And that's when they sucked in 64 games and I got this M-rated game. So she was the one that brought me to that. And then when we watched movies, she let me pick them out get DVDs of Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Friday 13th. I, I was big into slashers. That was my thing. Hellraiser, Candyman. Um, I just remember watching with my mom. And she's also a writer, a uh, poet mainly. And I, I just – it makes me so happy and – Makes me want to talk to my mom right now. But thank you for that. Um, I love it. It's so sweet the way you talk about her. What is what was her reaction to things have gone worse or any other uh, any other book? But I gotta ask about things that have gone worse because uh, I'm just so curious what she thought of it. I mean, she is just like over the moon. I mean, she's like such a proud mom. Just, I mean, she always tells me that she would be proud of me no matter what I do, which is such a mom thing to say, but <laughs> um, she really is just so delighted that I'm like starting this journey and that people seem to really be reacting both positively and negatively to the book. That's it's, it doesn't always have to be always positive. Just people reacting to the book in general is a great thing. Um, so she's just so, so delighted and just so, so happy and she's also uh someone that 
you know, I have my partner who reads all of my writing before I submit it for publication or before I submit it for beta reading or whatever. Uh, but my mom actually reads a lot of my work before it goes on to a publisher. And she's brutally honest. She will tell me when something's not working. She'll tell me when uh, she's not particularly invested in something, when something is just kind of falling flat. Uh, so she's not somebody who, uh, like completely coddles me. Um, and that's great. Like, I feel like writers need, they need that support system, but they always, they also need someone to be very honest with them. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, my mom is just like the best. I could talk about my mom for hours. I love, I love her. (laughs) And your partner, they write, you just uh, mentioned something, I think a day or two ago where they got their first sale. So I believe tell us a little bit about that because that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he got uh, a story. He submitted a story to an online publication. Unfortunately, I, I'm blanking on the name right now of what it's called. Um, but he um, submitted this piece and it's about being mixed race uh, growing up uh, in a household with two different uh, parents, you know, of different uh, ethnicities and, uh, because he's Persian, half Persian and half Puerto Rican. Um, so yeah, so he wrote a piece about, uh, being, being like identifying as that, as that. And, um, it's, it's been great. I mean, the response for the story, the editor wrote back and sent, sent him a really positive email. And, uh, this is his first piece uh, published that he's ever going to have published. So I'm really, really proud of him. And, um, I just hope it's like the first of many. So it's a big deal. That first one's a massive deal. I got mine framed. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't get paid for it, but it was with a publisher I loved. And, um, you know what? He's never going to forget that. Plus you support him. That's amazing. Uh, guys, you got any questions or can I lead towards a collection? Erica, real quick, I didn't know. I I thought you had a question. We were talking about uh, Eric's mom. I thought you had a question in that vein, unless Pat stole it. I do. No, he came close, but I was like, no, not quite. Um, So my question, just to recap, was um, you said before that your mom reads all of your work before it's published. Does she have a favorite so far? Is she refusing to pick a favorite? Because I would kind of be like, picking a favorite grandbaby or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, she definitely has a favorite that she absolutely loves. Uh, it's a piece that hasn't been published yet, actually. Um, so it's a piece that it's a around 45, 46,000 word, whatever that is. I don't know if it's a novel or a novella. I don't know what people are classifying 45, 46,000 word count pieces as. Um, I don't know if any of you have any insight into that. If you have, I think it's not. technically a novella. I think it's a length that publishers don't want unless your name is Eric LaRocca, in which case they'll right. take just about anything. <laughs> so if you ask if you ask Michael David Wilson, he'll say forty thousand plus is a novel. I think he's wrong. I think it's fifty thousand more, but maybe it's just a UK and America thing. Basically, I'm saying a new revolutionary war will happen from this. So Eric, uh, can you tell us anything about that? Whatever novel novella. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's 
around that word count. And I'm, I'm hesitant to call it a novel because it is, well, it's grand in scope, but it's, you know, it's on the shorter side of what would be classified as a novel. So I'm kind of talking with the publisher right now about how we want to market it. Um, but it has been picked up by a, a really, really respected, well-known press on the indie scene. Um, I can't really talk about it yet because I signed a contract and we're going to do like an official announcement probably sometime in October, like next month. Uh, probably going to do it with Nightworms, like a like an announcement. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. But um, it's a... I think it's a it's a great piece. Um, it's definitely my mom's favorite piece that she's read of mine. Uh, it's like kind of a cross between like a psychological thriller and like cosmic horror. Um, so it's a little bit like out of left field for me. Uh, I haven't really dabbled in cosmic horror before, uh, but yeah, it's it's a really fun piece. It's almost like a detective drama too with. Uh, people going missing and the detective trying to find out like what's what exactly is happening in this this small Connecticut town um but it it has been picked up like I said and it it, I I think we're aiming for February of 2023 for it to be published nice Nice. well you mentioned Nightworms how does it feel to have uh Ashley and Sadie just absolutely adore everything because they're in the independent scene, in horror, those two are the ones that you kind of want to be on your side. How's it feel yeah. to have them on your team? I love them so much. Like, <laughs> they are just so sweet. They're the best people on the planet. Like, I just can't say enough kind things about them. Uh, Sadie was kind enough to do a, um, like, a really party with me for the strange thing we become like when it launched on September 1st and we did like a live stream and just so much fun and she made me so comfortable and um because I was like I was a little worried with all of the negativity with things have gotten worse like it hasn't been all negativity but I was a little concerned that we might get a few people on the live stream who might be like some hecklers or they might you know say like eric sucks or whatever which i can handle like i can handle that but um i don't know i prefer if people are going to be nasty if they just go do it in their own corner and not like direct it like entirely at me um so but yeah like sadie is just the best and she's read a lot of my work and uh she put out a tweet the other day that she read the collection and um I'm really nervous to see her review for it, uh, but I have high hopes. I hope it's a good review. Um, I think it. I think it'll be good. Um, she I'm she sure. crafted a really nice tweet about it, so um, I have high hopes. But her and Ashley are just like so kind, and I'm a Nightworm subscriber. I get all of their books every month, and uh, it's definitely like on my bucket list to be in one of their packages. Like, that's, like, the ultimate for me. That would be, like, such an honor. So, and, I mean, we haven't, like, finalized or really, we've just, like, started talking about it, but it might be, it might be possible sometime in the future. So, we'll see. That's awesome. Uh, congrats, man. And, yeah, fully agree. They bust their ass and the product shows. 
Eric, I, I want you to take us back to kind of the origin of this collection, because if memory serves, you were originally going to release a few of these stories as a self-published little set um, before Off Limits picked it up. So can you kind of take us back there? Yeah, so a lot of people might not know, but uh, the original plan for this whole collection was it was actually going to be a two-novelette little mini collection called A Bright Enchanted Suffering. And that's a book that now no longer exists. There are a few people that have, you know, arc arcs of that floating around their houses somewhere. But uh, that book was never in print and it never, it never existed. I get DMs a lot from people that are like, what happened to your Bright Enchanted Suffering book? Like, why isn't, why can't I find it? And, um, you know, I have to tell them, that it never really existed. So, um, but yeah, so the book was supposed to be released in like March of 2021 this year. And I was, I was prior to that. I saw that off limits press was putting out a, like a call for submissions for like fiction collections. And I thought, you know, I've, I've got like enough stories to really like pad a collection. I don't know why I'm just doing these two stories in, in this book. Like, you know, it's, I feel like these two stories are good, but um, it would be interesting to have like a full collection out because your first collection, it's, it's like your one shot to impress people. It's your one chance at a, it's your, it's your first impression of, of you as a writer. Um, even yeah. though I've had, pieces published before uh, a short story collection really says a lot about a writer. Um, so I compiled all these stories there. There were eight stories in that I had that I had the rights for and I just submitted it to Sam and I'll never forget. She DM'd me like maybe a week or two after I sent it, maybe not even. And it was like 11 o'clock at night. And she was like, Eric, I just have to tell you, like, I never do this, but your collection, like, I'm reading it right now, and it's just so amazing. Like, it, the first story just completely grabbed me, and it's just so, so amazing. And I'm like, oh, that's a really good sign. Like, I'm so happy. <laughs> like, I love that. I love that you're reacting like that. Like, that really, that makes that, yeah, that's going to make sleeping really hard tonight. Um <laughs> So she, yeah, she's like, yeah, no, well, um, she's like, yeah, I just wanted to let you know. And then like maybe a half an hour later, I got an email and Sam was like, can we talk tomorrow? Can we set up like a phone call? And I was like, wow, I've never had an editor want to speak to me over the phone. Like that was just so, it was wonderful. Like it was such a wonderful feeling, um, but it was just so unique and so unusual. And I don't know if she operates like that with all of her, uh, with all of her clients or writers rather. Uh, but that's basically how it happened. And, you know, she called me the next day and we were on the phone and just chatting for a while. And then eventually she's like, you know, I just, I don't want to beat around the bush anymore. Like I would love to publish this collection through off limits. And I think it's really special. And, just saying like all of these really these amazing things like things of validation that like I really needed to hear at the time uh just 
just so such an outpouring of kindness and uh, generosity. And uh, she was just wonderful. And working with her has been such a seamless partnership. It's been so, so wonderful. Uh, it's been, I mean, I've only at this point released, I've, well, I've released the poetry collection earlier this year with Domain, and that was that was great. And then I've released uh, Weird Punk, the book with Weird Punk with Sam. And I mean, working with Sam is just absolutely amazing. Like, he's just such an amazing person. He's a good guy. So, but he's the best. I love Both him. Sam's are awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then working with Sam at Off, Off Limits has just been such an incredible experience. And uh, it's... I, I just feel like I'm getting the kind of treatment that I don't know if I would be getting if I signed with like a big publishing house. Like I feel like the kind of one-on-one -on -one connections and camaraderie that I'm building with these editors is just something that it's just so, it's just so wonderful. And uh, for her to call me and want to talk to me on the phone. And we've actually chatted on the phone quite a bit, like over the course of the, the past few months just kind of arranging the details for the release and it's just been it's been so special and um i'm just so glad that i decided to pull the original book a bright enchanted suffering and release it as this book because i think it's a stronger representation of my skill set as a writer i feel like a lot of my uh storytelling abilities are wrapped up nicely in this book and i feel like you know, it's not a long collection. It's only eight stories, but I feel like it shows some variety and I feel like it shows some versatility and, um, yeah, like I'm just, I'm really, really proud of it. And I'm just so glad that Sam believed in me. I want to point out one thing and then when you guys jump in, um, it's something I wanted to talk about earlier, negative reactions and all that. Like you strive for that. I strive for it, but um, it, it's one thing to say I don't like this for the content or this and that. It's another for the way that some people react towards you or many other people, which is assumptions, going with that, rolling with it, talking to like-minded folks and so forth, which I agree with you about the Internet. It makes it so easy to have no filter, to have the ability to – like we're talking face-to-face. -face. This isn't how normally people talk to each other on the Internet. We can see each other's physical cues. Eric, are you there? Is Eric there? Do you see me? Oh, shit. I'm sorry. I thought you lagged out. I'm going to cut that. You weren't moving. You were very still. Yeah, I'm very stoic. <laughs> sorry, sorry, man. You lagged out. Uh, back to where it was. So... I, my whole point is, and, and I told you this, and I think it rings true, and because, like, I've had asshole, plenty of assholes say stuff to me that's nuts, and I think it's true. Uh, most people won't say that to your face. They probably won't say it in person. It's just, it's easy. You know, people get lost and carried away in it. I mean, you're a very sweet person. Um, I think that's worth re-bringing re, uh, up again. Um and I've noticed that the nicest people seem to create the craziest shit in fiction. Like, I've heard great things about Tom Savini. He's a master at what he does. George Romero is another one. Follow that up, Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, first of all, Eric, I want to say when you were describing, you know, the uh, steps to that acceptance, like the DM from Sam, like the, I, I almost feel like we got a taste of the joy you experienced in that moment. Like I just, I, I like my heart got bigger just kind of hearing just how much that meant to you, um, and I absolutely love it. Now you mentioned that. Sam said that the first story really, really spoke to her. And I, I, I agree with that. Um, the first story is you follow wherever they go and it draws you in and it almost reads, you read it and you're like, this story had to be first. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about uh, curating the order of the stories as they ended up. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's definitely a reason why certain stories fall in line with the way they do in the collection. The first story, um, it's the shortest story in, in the bunch. It's, I think, a little under like 2,500 words. It might be like around 2,000 words. Um, but the intro, the opening story really serves almost like, like an invocation for the dread and the sorrow and the heartache and the suffering that's going to come throughout these pages. Uh, the first story is definitely like that uh, foreboding feeling. And it's that like ominous sort of hint of what you can expect in these pages. And also um, the fact that I've paired that story like back to back with bodies are for burning which is the next story it kind of yeah. lets the reader know that there's no safety in the collection because you start out with this really kind of somber mournful very reflective piece and then it cuts to this really in your face grotesque uh just uh horrible horrible things happening and horrible things being thought uh i just i feel like those two stories were the perfect sort of little intro into the collection to kind of unsettle the reader and make them feel like, okay, nothing's safe in this little world I'm about to enter. Um, and then, you know, as you go further into the collection, you kind of dip into, uh, you know, back into this, the sorrow, the mournful horror with the title story, the strange thing we become. Uh, and then I think after that, it's, the trees grew because I bled there, which is another, I think I could be wrong. Um, yeah, but that's another like kind of in your face, disquieting body horror piece. And then it goes into, uh, you're not supposed to be here and where flames burned emerald is grass. And those are like, kind of like, I almost want to say like roll doll type stories with just like insane things happening to people, like just everyday situations and just madness ensuing. And then you've got I'll Be Gone By Then, uh, which is probably, I think it was one of my favorites in the collection, which is really just about like the, you know, the disenfranchised and the the shattering of like the American dream. And, uh, and then like the final story, Please Leave or I'm Going to Hurt You, I feel like that was the perfect story to end the collection with because it's not decidedly horror. It's more like dark fiction and it kind of cues the reader into kind of where I'm going with 
where I where I want to go with like my debut novel, um, like the kind of fiction that I really want to explore in depth with like a debut novel with like a big mainstream, uh, big five publisher. Um, that's kind of where that's kind of how I rounded out the collection. I wanted it to start with like an invocation with that like feeling of dread and menace lurking. And then I wanted to close it with this, this little taste of what readers might expect from me in the coming years. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned uh, bodies are for burning and that whole idea of nothing being sacred or uh, off limits, no pun intended. Um, Cause I got that, that same exact feeling. Um, I almost felt like I read that story a little bit different being familiar with your work because I think that you, you know, I'm not going to spoil anything, but you get into that story and Eric, you set up the story like, Hey, it looks like this terrible thing is going to happen. And with any other author, I'm thinking, okay, that's misdirection. It's this, it's that with you. It's, you don't know. (laughs) This thing is, you know, this potential thing that's going to happen is beyond words, beyond reproach. And you, you, you know, if you've read things have gotten worse, then you know that Eric is not going to be afraid to go there um, if that's what the story calls for. Yeah, he ain't so, going to shy away. Putting that early on in the collection is, it, yes. <laughs> it's, it's yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eric, I have a very, oh, sorry, Bernie, go ahead. Oh, I was going to throw it to Erica because uh, we've been hogging. Oh gosh, sorry if I could unmute myself. Um, yeah, the <laughs> the first story in this collection, I just couldn't help but picture like My Chemical Romance's Black Parade while I was reading it for some reason, <laughs> like picturing children instead of adults, like just on a you're, float, like going the down the road. Person that's mentioned that actually, that's someone funny. else on someone else on YouTube mentioned that um, My Chemical Romance. So I, awesome I'm not album. familiar. I'm honestly not familiar with their work, but. I'll definitely have to check out what is it called? Like black parade. Is that yeah. like an album? Yeah. There's a song. We, I say we joke, I don't know, TikTok people or whatever, but people joke that it's like the emo national anthem. And every time you hear that one piano note, I'm like, Oh, yep. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite songs, but yeah. Um, are we done talking about the collection? Cause all my questions are still like oh. <laughs> way out here. So, okay. Patrick, no, go ahead. <laughs> no, I got a very specific question. Uh, you're not supposed to be here. Why did you name the baby Philip with one L? Why did I name? Uh, because I think, I think that's how. Um, I'm really in this right from uh, England. His name is Philip Ridley, and he's just an iconic writer to me. He's just. If there was anybody that I like would want to emulate like my career after, it would be Philip Ridley. Um, just because he's written so much with like fiction and horror fiction and then queer fiction and then playwriting and then he's directed films and he's done a lot of what like Clive Barker has done, but not to the same level of like you know, notoriety. I hate to say like success because he is super successful because I'm obsessed with him. I love Philip Ridley with all my heart. Um, and yeah, like I named the baby Philip after 
for Phil Fridley. I'm not sure if, I don't know if he, I think I have a copy of his, one of his books in my bookshelf, but I think he spells it with one L. I could be wrong. He does. I'm looking him up. I didn't know who he was until he mentioned him. Um, wow. He has a very long career in in the arts. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah, you're not kidding. From radio, music, theater. I'm only asking because, and I'm not saying my, my mind was like, he probably did because of this. But that, that's my son's name, and it's spelled like that. But uh, I couldn't stop thinking about that, you sick bastard. <laughs> like I did it to you on purpose. <laughs> no, I, I'm not. I'm not that egotistical. But I did think about that, and um, that wasn't my favorite story. It's a damn good story. But uh, I, if I had to pick one story that was like my favorite of all, and I really love this whole thing, I think I'm gonna go with the second one. Bodies are for burning mm. because <laughs> I. Twists and turns, man, and it's still fucked up at the end. But I want to talk about the very last story without spoilers. Did you read, uh, not read, there's a movie I watched back in 2015, and it is by Ari Aster. I know the movie you're talking about. No, it's called The Strange Thing About the Johnsons. I can't say what it's about or it will ruin the short story. Did you watch that? Did that influence this short story? Because, man, it's fucked up. And we had a uh, real quick background, again, without not ruining what the plot is. But this one job I had, the first job I had in Jersey in 2015, me and a group of friend, guys would just go to this one guy's house that was right down the road from where we worked. We'd have movie night, just had drinks and whatever. So we all rotated in picking uh, movies. And uh, one night, this guy picks uh, the strange thing about the Johnsons. And this is my introduction to Ari Aster. And uh, as we're watching it, we're like, what the fuck? And then we're not talking after it's over. And we go, Jeffrey, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. It's definitely one of those films where it's like, what the fuck did I just watch? Um, Yeah, no, I I have seen that film. I think, I mean, both the pieces are similar in that they explore kind of that taboo thing that I don't want to spoil um, because it would give the whole story away. But I think Aster's piece is more like in your face and like violent and over the top. And, you know, and then my piece is more like somber and sad and more like mournful um but yes like i i definitely have seen i have seen that film and it's 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 i think one of my favorite like ari aster short films he's done like a couple of really great short films um and i think that one definitely is like his most impactful uh dude i watched it almost seven years ago and i still almost remember not shot for shot but just watch the film people that's all i can say yeah that's or all don't. i got or don't watch the film <laughs> yeah, or don't <laughs> all right I, I i've got a couple um now first off uh when you're writing in this collection with your short stories 
a lot of the short stories in this collection are in first person. And I was wondering if that's a conscious decision, if there's something about writing in that point of view that really appeals to you. I think it just appeals to me in that, you know, we really can connect with the the protagonists more. Um, we can really like place ourselves in the situation. It's like much more intimate. Um, we can get inside their headspace. Um, for a piece like Bodies Are For Burning, I definitely knew that I wanted to put that in first person just because of how much interior dialogue the character has with herself. And the same thing with Please Leave Her, I'm Going to Hurt You. He has a lot of interior monologues and uh, that one in first person? I could be wrong. I think it's in first person. Um, I forget, honestly, if that one is in first person. Um, it is. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the same thing with Bodies Are For Burning with Please Leave Her, I'm Going To Hurt You. Like, that um, That story definitely, I feel like, uh, would, have, would not be as impactful if it were told in, like, a third-person uh, situation. Um, I just, I, I, I kind of, like, prefer the third the the first person uh narrative just because i put myself more in the character when i'm able to read that um and i think a lot of other readers maybe prefer the first person it could i mean i know it varies um but yeah like a lot of my pieces now that i think about it a lot of them are in first person and um i think it just depends on like what kind of story i'm trying to tell like i just finished a short story that's for something um, that I can't really discuss at the moment, but uh, I knew that I wanted that in third person because it doesn't necessarily have the same sort of like interior monologue that some of my other pieces do. Um, just is more like plot driven as opposed to like reflective and like internally based. So I think it also depends on like what kind of story you're trying to tell. Are you trying to tell a plot-driven story or are you trying to tell like a character-driven story? So I would think Bodies Are For Burning and Please Leave Her, I'm Going To Hurt You. There is like plot to them, but they're really more like character studies more than anything. Um, so I think that's kind of how I approach what I'm going to write or rather how I'm going to write it. I love your titles. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, I told you one of mine for a novel I'm working on, and I'm just like, this is the one guy that I want to get a good job, buddy. Because, I mean, every story in your short story collection, uh, you know, things have gone worse. And your other previous books, they're just, I love them. They're so great. And uh, I hope you keep it up. So Thank good job, you. buddy. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> we have a, one question from Jerry Smith. Uh, Jerry Smith, he's just a fantastic uh, interviewer, and he's also a musician, amongst many other things. But his question is, do you think that Transgressifar and Writing is being singled out these days almost as much of, uh, if not more than writers like, uh, Dave, uh, was it David Chow? Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, Scow, not Chow. Uh, John Skip, um, I guess he's referring to the Splatterpunkers in the 1990 era. 
Uh, he phrases were during were during the satanic pair, panic era. I can't talk of the 1980s. So, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm like the. I don't know. I don't think I'm like the authority on like splatterpunk and extreme horror because like I don't consider myself operating in that subgenre. Like I know things have gotten worse. Is could be considered extreme horror. I just think of it as as horror. I don't necessarily classify it as like hardcore horror. Um, but I, I suppose, you know, you have every right to classify it as that. Um, but I guess the question is rather like how, like how I perceive people's reaction, like how it's changed throughout the years, like with, from like the splatterpunk movement to now, is that kind of, you think like what the question is referring to? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's pretty good. Yeah, I would think. I mean, I I, I just think people have gotten a, like bolder with their um, criticisms and um, their you know negative speaking and like whatever. Um, you know, obviously reviews are for readers; they're not for writers. Um, but I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times I've been tagged in like a mediocre or like negative review and it's just like it just it like drains me a little it's like why why like tell me why <laughs> I, I don't know sean cosby's another one that talks about it um yeah i wouldn't want to piss that guy off but <laughs> i don't know man i don't get it i think it's just really uh it's rude it's ignorant and who knows what we're not in their heads we're not in their brains we don't know what they're thinking it's an asshole move, but yeah. I mean, I I'm grateful that they read the book, and I'm so I'm so honored that they read the book and that they want to share their opinion with the world. But like, don't share it with me, please. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need that opinion. <laughs> like, my my mental state is fragile enough to begin with. So, um, but yeah, I just think people have gotten really bold lately and i think it's no different than it was back in the the 1980s or the 1990s because a lot of those writers they were uh they were held to the same standards that now creators are are also held to i think it's just different because we have social media now and we see kind of everything unfold um but yeah i I, I don't think there's like a huge difference really, because I mean, we were just talking about Clive Barker going on that uh, show where he was grilled by all those um, people who were like totally opposed to his books. And um, I mean, he was basically dealing with like avatars on Twitter, just yelling at him. <laughs> uh, but like in, in real time. Uh, so I, I think it's just different. I think it's different now because we're on, uh, you know, we're on the internet and we're connected all like virtually. Um, so I suppose it's like different, but it's also kind of the same bullshit that we're, that we're kind of used to. Um, but like I said, at the end of the day, I'm just happy people are reacting to the book in general. I think that's what's most important. Most of all is that people are, forming opinions and reacting to the book and 
like wanting to continue the conversation and, and keep it going. I think that's what's, I think that's what's so special about that book. Things have gotten worse is that it is like a conversation starter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. Erica, you got anything? Now, just a follow-up to the online world and things. Like, I think it's so well, really dumb that people <laughs> tag you <laughs> reviews. I get so upset every time I see that. I, I love when, like, I think it was you. You screenshotted one. And you were like, uh, like, why, why share this with me? I don't understand. But I also, like... As a book blogger, I get nervous to tag authors in five-star reviews because I'm like, oh, I don't want to bother them. So I don't know. That whole thing just doesn't make any sense to me. But I totally get the like feeling of just being bombarded. And it's an invasion of your personal space, too, when people tag you in something nasty. That's really just not cool. So I hope people calm down on that. Yeah, no, I appreciate <laughs> you saying that. And like, I appreciate, I appreciate any time I'm tagged in any I mean I shouldn't say that like any review I get because sometimes like I said like I do get tagged in the mediocre or the negative reviews but um the fact that they read the book and the fact that they want to share their opinion like that that is so special and I feel like that shouldn't be taken away from them I feel like everybody should be able to share how they felt about a book and like open up their own discussion um but just like tagging people and tagging authors like and adding them like online like I don't have like a secretary managing my <laughs> Twitter account like it's just me and I mean some people like they've gotten so bold with me after this book came out and you know I get messages a lot like messages that I don't even screenshot and share with people because they're they're like embarrassing sometimes. And it's like, you know, these people are just so bold and um, I'm happy that they're reading the book and that they're connecting with it. But um, I just, I just want people to be like a little bit kinder, you know, that's just all I want is that like, I'm not a robot. It's weird. I, you know, I'm going to make an assumption that they're making assumptions that since you wrote something so extreme, Maybe to them that makes them think, well, I can say anything, which is not the case. Yeah, no, it's not. But that's my takeaway from talking to authors uh, that write things a little bit more bold. And um, I'll bring up Sean Cosby one more time. He talked about how he started getting a bunch of pictures sent to him of people in their bathtub sending him pictures of black topless land. Oh my God. It, it doesn't, that's. I don't even think that there's a tub mentioned in that book, but still, it's a. <laughs> it's isn't it a weird concept to think like Stephen King summed it up perfectly? Misery. It's a it's a crazy misery crowd that will react like that, but we write about these situations of people, and sometimes you are part of that story, and you don't want to be in it, but you're in it. Yeah, I totally agree, and I mean. I've definitely had moments where I've thought, should I be writing this? Like, am I encouraging this kind of behavior? And, you know, maybe I should start writing something different, but that's just not in my heart. Like this is in my heart. Like horror is where I'm meant to, meant to be. And I mean, not just horror, but like transgressive, uh, you know, confrontational fiction as I feel like 
where my heart lies. And I don't necessarily want to compromise my vision just because a few people are making assumptions about me or, you know, saying horrible things about me. Um, Cause at the end of the day, that really doesn't matter. Like I've got so many people in my corner and um, yeah, like it's just the good outweigh the bad at the end of the day. Absolutely. Brandon, I think you, you put it perfect. I, I was going to say, I think you put it perfectly when you said people just need to be kinder mm-hmm. and add to that a little less presumptuous. <laughs> yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. yeah. You know, when earlier you said, you know, we're kind of moving away from the collection now. So I'm just going to tell people if you have not picked this up yet, you got to get it. It's available now. It is a fantastic read. It's a short read. Um, it's got eight wonderful stories in it. And, you know, you mentioned earlier when we asked you what got you into horror, you said uh, that you always felt out of place when you were little and that high school was an absolute nightmare. And, you know, I'm really sorry you had to go through all that. But at the same time, I'm just so pleased that you found your niche. Uh, I read your prose in here and you're doing exactly what you should be doing right now. So whatever life has thrown at you, you're where you're supposed to be. (laughs) Thank you. I, I definitely, I totally wholeheartedly agree with that. I think a lot of this, the, the trauma and like the suffering that I, that I went through, not that I went through like horrible, horrible things, but I mean, I just, I went through things that were horrible and difficult for me, just me as a person. And, um, I think that they helped shape me and make me into what I am today. And, um, I, that's just so beautiful what you said. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. All right, guys, so I think now is about the time where we ask, what are you currently reading? Eric, what are you currently reading, sir? So I just picked up a copy of Red X by David Demchuk. Mm. Um, His first book, The Bone Mother, is like one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, That book is just like a masterpiece, I think, and just so uh, unsettling and just beautifully written so uh eloquently done and just absolutely exquisite so i have the highest hopes for red x um i haven't really cracked into it too deep yet uh but i mean as i anticipated the prose is just absolute magic and uh it's just just so wonderful so far um so i anticipate it's going to be a really really good read and um, David is just like such a nice, kind soul and just as a human being. And um, I just love supporting him. So that's currently what's on my plate for reading. Nice. Erica, what about you? <laughs> we have a theme. Um, I am reading a book called Red Handed. Uh, <laughs> by Christopher Red- Golden? <laughs> no, it's um, by, oh gosh. Sharuthi Bala and Hannah McGuire. Um, it's a true crime book. So the full title is Red Handed, an exploration of criminals, cannibals, cults, and what makes a killer tick. So I was sent this from the publisher and I was wicked pumped because I listened to their podcast. Um, but it's like really well thought out science and like legit information on why these killers tick, <laughs> as the title says. But I don't think I've ever read a true crime book that went like as in depth as this without being too much. So it's still very like conversational. And if you guys have ever listened to that podcast, you can like hear their voices coming through and they sprinkle humor in here and there. Like, you know, I just read the chapter on cults and 
I was laughing hysterically because they make a lot of parallels between cults and religion and I that just tickles my funny bone every time. So I mean, definitely weird. recommend that if you guys like true crime. <laughs> That's a synonym, Erica. Uh, cult and religion, to be clear, what I'm talking about. That's a synonym, is what I said. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I, I didn't hear that. <laughs> so I was like, what? <laughs> That's all right. I'm not funny. Uh, Brennan, what are you reading? <laughs> um, I just finished up today Waif by Samantha Koyasnik. Um, she's got it coming out in February. Uh, I don't know why I'm saying February. I made that up. Early 2022. Might be February. Who knows? <laughs> Through Grindhouse. Um, and I, I don't really want to give... Um, synopsis details because i don't think she has but uh we'll we'll leave that for her but it's you want it if you enjoyed true crime it's a very different book but she just has such a way of writing and drawing you in and just making you feel for and understand the main character uh it's really something i think a lot of people are going to be talking about this book when it comes out just like they were with true crime yeah I just started that, too, and it's fantastic. But the book that I want to mention, since Brennan just covered Waif, is uh, I want to be starring Red Station by Kenzie Jennings. It's going to be my first splatterpunk western through Death's Head Press in that first series. Uh, We're going to be talking with Kenzie next week, I believe it is. And Brennan said a lot of great things. Uh, It it also comes with some uh, Annie Oakley cards, postcards, and, and stamps. So I thought that was neat. Um, I don't know what it's about yet. I just know that Kenzie's a good writer and uh, highly recommended. Um, final thoughts before we say goodnight. Eric, do you have any final thoughts? Um, no, I mean, this was just a delight. Like, honestly, talking to you guys was was such a, a highlight for me. And Aww. so you guys are so kind and so sweet. And um, you you guys made me feel so comfortable and I was definitely like a little nervous to come on just because I respect you guys so much, but wow. um, made me just feel like right at home. So I felt like I was really able to answer authentically and just be who I am. So thank you so much. Oh, whew. that's awesome. You don't uh, have to respect us. It's fine. I mean, you can respect <laughs> Brennan and Erica. I get it if you don't want me. Um, Erica, go ahead. Thank you, Eric. I just wanted to say it was really nice to virtually meet you, Eric. I know we were looking forward to the Merrimack Valley Book Festival. We're all supposed to hang out then. I know. So hopefully next year we'll actually all get to meet in person. I hope so. Mm -hmm. Brian, final thoughts, sir? Uh, Eric, appreciate your time and I appreciate, you know, you... We're we're just so pleased for you with the success you're having with not not just things have gotten worse, but everything you put your stamp on um and we're honored to be able to have you on and talk to you and erica of course you know we love having you on you're welcome anytime you know that um so thank you as well echo brian uh eric um come back anytime seriously uh you're i'm gonna say a line from stephen king you are the face of the new wave of our um i can't wait to see what you come up with next and we do want you back for the next book if you are down for that. I'm Listeners. So down. I'm so down. <laughs> sorry for interrupting you. <laughs> Listeners, next episode, episode 117, airs this Thursday. It will be with Paul Goblerch. I'm so sorry if I butchered your surname. And guest host Ronald Kelly. We talk all about Thunderstorm books, what Ronald Kelly is releasing uh, with him. 
the Dead Eye series, and much more. Listeners, you have many choices in podcasts. Thank you for listening to us, and have a good one. You are now leaving Deadhead Space.